Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Warren and I bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, megachurch pastor Todd Wagner is taking a break from ministry following concerns about his leadership style. And a beloved professor at Taylor University was fired for posting a video that he says is thoroughly biblical, but which received an anonymous complaint. And the school is now in an uproar over this controversy. But up first today is the story of TV preacher Perry Stone, who has been on sabbatical since April for acting inappropriately with female employees. Perry Stone has been a steady presence on Christian television networks for the past decade, but in recent months, he's not been a steady presence at his own ministry. His Cleveland, Tennessee-based ministry, Voice of Evangelism, announced in July that he had taken a leave of absence after admitting that he had acted inappropriately with female employees. Yeah. Now, Natasha, what's unusual about this is that Stone has actually been on leave of absence since April, but his ministry has continued to air programs, and Stone himself has maintained an active social media presence. At least publicly, the ministry was trying to act as if nothing was amiss at the ministry. But the Chattanooga Times Free Press obtained an audio recording of Perry Stone talking to a small in-person group of um, church members and supporters of his ministry. Stone said that women in his ministry had brought concerns about both his words and his actions to the board of the organization, and the board asked him to step aside and to receive some counseling. So Warren, how big is Voice of Evangelism? Well, that's a good question, uh, and I wish I had a better answer than I do, but the truth is I just don't know for sure. Stone's ministry classifies itself as a church and no longer releases financial information. And that, by the way, should be a red flag to donors who might be listening to us today. Ministry Watch's position is that classifying a ministry as a church is not a good idea, certainly not a best practice. So the latest financial information we have for Perry Stone's ministry Voice of Evangelism is from 2012, eight years ago, and it's been a rapidly growing ministry since then. But even that year, the uh, revenue was listed at $17 million. And in 2013, they built a $22 million uh, center called the Omega Center International. They built that building completely debt-free. Stone's Manifest television program has been airing on the Trinity Broadcasting Network since the year 2000, so for 20 years now. And the latest Form 990, again, though, that goes back to 2012, says that Voice of Evangelism paid TBN about $4 million that year for airtime. Well, another well-known pastor is taking a leave of absence, and that's Todd Wagner of Dallas Watermark Community Church. Yeah, Todd Wagner is a senior pastor of Watermark Community Church, and it, it is truly a mega church. You might even call it a super mega church. It's a multi-site church in the Dallas area. They have about 11,000 people in average attendance on Sunday. But they announced last weekend that Todd Wagner is taking a break from ministry to address what he called the sin of pride. This comes 
comes about a year after a blog called No Eden Elsewhere published several posts alleging spiritual abuse at Watermark Church. Wagner told his conversation that he is not guilty of any disqualifying sin, such as sexual immorality or financial misconduct, but Wagner did admit that friends had confronted him about behaviors that had stemmed from pride. And in his statement, Wagner added this, Pride is not simply being overly impressed with who you think you are in terms of accomplishment, looks, or position. It has most often to do with the position of your heart. It's got to do with not listening, not being as hard on yourself as you are with others. It's not humbling yourself to listen to others. It's not thinking of God first and others first. Wagner founded Watermark in 1999 with the expressed purpose of ministering to the unchurched, the dechurched, dead-churched, and unmoved. The church grew rapidly and now has campuses in Dallas, Frisco, and Plano. Yeah, the church also produces a popular marriage curriculum called Re-Engage that has been used in more than 370 churches around the country. Watermark also developed a popular 12-step recovery program called Regeneration. It's also used in many churches around the country. Now, Warren, before we move on, can you give us your thoughts about both of these situations, the one with Todd Wagner and with Perry Stone? Yeah, I can, but I, I want to acknowledge a couple of things up front. First, I think they're really different situations, both theologically and otherwise. Uh, and I'll say more about that in a second. But secondly, I also want to disclose that I know Todd Wagner and consider him a friend. I, I don't think that has an impact on what I'm about to say, but uh, I do think it's fair that our listeners know that before I talk, both so they can decide for themselves. Now, first, let me talk about the differences. Perry Stone's ministry is very different from Todd Wagner's Watermark Church. Perry Stone is in a rural part of Tennessee. Uh, the ministry has uh, grown rapidly because of its presence on television, and uh, it, Perry Stone really comes from that branch of Christianity that might be more closely related to the prosperity gospel branch. That's one of the reasons why they're on the Trinity Broadcasting Network, which is pretty well known for its prosperity gospel preachers. Todd Wagner's, on the other hand, is much more in the mainstream of evangelicalism in this country. Uh, Wagner, for example, contributes uh, frequently to the Gospel Coalition uh, website. Um, th there are some things, though, that are similar about these ministries, and one is size. Uh, size, uh, unfortunately, becomes a problem for these ministries. When you start talking about lots of money uh, getting involved, you also start talking about pressure being placed on the senior leadership. We can have a conversation, Natasha, another day about whether small is beautiful and big is bad. Uh, I'm not going to say necessarily that that's always the case, but I can tell you that uh, these big ministries start to put pressures on the leaders that uh, create tremendous um, stress in their families, in their spiritual lives, just in the way they spend their time. It often takes them away from attending to the spiritual disciplines that they need to attend to, to stay current with the Lord uh, in terms of their leadership with that ministry. So, yeah, um, there's some similarities and there's some differences, but I think the main takeaway for me is that if we're a donor 
to uh, either of these ministries or to other ministries, we need to ask questions about, you know, are, is this getting too big? Is this ministry getting too big to be adequately uh, and appropriately led? And is there complete transparency on the part of the leadership, not only about how, the way that they deal with the ministry, but their personal lives as well? Well, thank you so much for explaining all that, Warren. That's very helpful. Now, let's shift gears and cover one more story before we take a break. There's two Baptist schools in Texas that have sued a charitable foundation, they say, that is trying to misuse millions of dollars in assets. Yeah, those two institutions are Baylor University and the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth. They filed suit on Tuesday against Texas-based Harold E. Riley Foundation and the Board of Trustees. Now, according to the lawsuit uh, filed by these two colleges, the foundation was set up in 2002 by Harold Riley, a wealthy businessman who died in 2017 for the benefit of these two schools. The schools were granted the freedom to name a majority of the foundation's board, and the foundation's stated charitable purpose was to provide support for these schools. Now, what the schools are saying is that in 2018, a year after Riley died, all that changed. The lawsuit alleges that the foundation's board of trustees rewrote the bylaws without notifying either Baylor or Southwestern. They changed the charitable purpose of the foundation, and they stripped away the ability of the schools to name board members. The changes they further say in the lawsuit were made without input from the school, and um, the meetings at which those changes were made were invalid according to the bylaws. Now, according to the suit, the changes to the foundation were made just a few days after Paige Patterson, who was the former president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, was fired by that seminary's board. Uh, foundation president Mike Hughes, who had served as vice president for advancement at Southwestern under Paige Patterson, is also named as one of the defendants in the lawsuit. Well, this is a very complicated story, Warren. So can you simplify it and tell us what the bottom line is? Well, under the lawsuit, the two schools seek the removal of the foundation's current trustees and a freezing of the foundation's assets until the foundation's original charitable purpose has been restored. Is that likely to happen? Well, it's a little too early to tell. It may, but it's likely going to take months, if not years. What's at stake here are tens of millions of dollars, which means that the big winners here are likely to be the lawyers handling the case. Warren, we have to take a break, but when we return, controversy at Indiana's Taylor University. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Pagosa Springs. We'll be back after this short break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, a longtime faculty member at Taylor University, Jim Spiegel, no longer has a job at the Christian school, reportedly after posting a video of a song he'd written titled Little Hitler on YouTube. Yeah, the administration allegedly received a complaint about that video. However, Taylor didn't say who the complaint came from, nor did the college give Jim Spiegel an opportunity to defend himself as it relates to the video. They just told him to take it down. Now, Spiegel refused to take it down, citing academic freedom and free speech concerns. Plus, he said the video, uh, though it is a little bit edgy, is mostly humorous, and according to Spiegel, and I would have to say according to me too because I've seen the video, is biblically sound. Spiegel, who has been employed by the university since 1993, has had other run-ins with the administration of Taylor University as well. Yeah, he has. Uh, He spearheaded, for example, a petition uh, objecting to plans to bring a Starbucks to campus because of Starbucks support for Planned Parenthood and for its endorsement of LGBTQ causes. And I seem to remember a controversy regarding Vice President Mike Pence. Yeah, last year in May of 2019, which of course is graduation season, Mike Pence, who is also from Indiana, uh, was scheduled to be the commencement speaker at Taylor University. But a number of progressive students and faculty members launched a campaign to have Pence disinvited as the commencement speaker. Now, Pence did ultimately speak at Taylor, but a number of students walked out of the vice president's speech, and the president of the college had to end up resigning in the aftermath of that mess. It was a big controversy at the time. Jim Spiegel was one of those who supported Pence's speech, saying again that it was a free speech issue. So is this a liberal versus conservative fight? I mean, is it a fight between the woke and the unwoke? Well, I think it would be easy to see it in those terms, uh, Natasha, but I think it might be a little more complicated than that. I've interviewed Jim Spiegel as well as others associated with the school. The administration has so far uh, not called me back for uh, an interview, but I hope to get to them as well. Uh, So we'll have obviously more to this story coming soon. But I, I will say this, that that Taylor is like a lot of colleges right now, that there is a progressive wing on a lot of Christian colleges and universities, and they are attempting to move a lot of these Christian colleges in a more progressive direction. Jim Spiegel does represent a conservative biblical wing at Taylor. He's got a lot of supporters on the campus. He's been teaching there, after all, for 27 years, and a lot of alumni, a lot of other faculty members are uh, supportive of him. In my conversation with Jim Spiegel, he actually said that he hoped he would be reinstated uh, at Taylor, that uh, he loved the school, he loved his colleagues, and he loved especially his students and the teaching that he does there. So, um, yeah, hopefully this will not end up emerging or devolving into sort of this liberal conservative woke versus the unwoke culture war, but it would be something that uh, they can get resolved. In fact, Jim Spiegel said that he thinks it would be a fantastic witness to the world if they could sit down together 
and iron out these differences and have some sort of reconciliation and restoration of the relationship. Now, Warren, let's cover one more story real quick before break, and that's Jen Hatmaker, a popular Christian writer, blogger, and formerly a reality TV star. She's just filed for divorce. Yeah, Hatmaker announced that she split from her husband, Brandon, on social media on Sunday, September the 6th. Court documents show the petition for divorce was actually filed in late August. Now, uh, Jen and Brandon Hatmaker starred in the reality TV series, My Big family home renovation, which featured the family and their five children. Along uh, with their love for home improvement, uh, the couple had been leaders at Austin New Church, where Brandon served for years as the church's pastor. Warren, anytime a couple splits up and gets a divorce, but I guess I'm wondering why you think reporting on this divorce, which is a personal and private story for the hatmakers, is important. Yeah, it's a great question. And I've got to admit, Natasha, that I wrestled over whether we would report on this story at all. But here are some facts that played into that decision. Um, first of all, in 2016, Jen Hatmaker became a controversial figure in evangelicalism generally when she affirmed same-sex marriage and said that gay relationships could, in fact, be holy. Um, despite making that very clear announcement in favor of same-sex marriage, several Christian publishers continue to push and promote her books. In fact, she's written two books with Thomas Nelson since 2016, since she made that public statement. Um, so I think that the the issue with Jen Hatmaker is, while it is a personal and a private issue, and I want to respect and honor that as much as possible, it really does say a lot about what's going on in evangelicalism and in Christian publishing and broadcasting uh, these days, where there is very little oversight and accountability into the the theological issues and theological problems that a lot of the stars and celebrities in that movement have. So personal problems such as divorce and depression are almost always downstream from some kind of theological problem. And Jen Hatmaker's life for the past few years has been in some ways a metaphor for what I sometimes call the industry versus ministry conflict. We're going to take another break, but when we return, more examples of how churches and ministries are growing impatient with COVID restrictions that, in some parts of the country, are more than six months old. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. 
Up next, the Christian musician Sean Fecht held a concert in Seattle in defiance of local officials who had denied him a venue for his Labor Day concert. Yeah, it has emerged to be a battle of wills um, between the California musician who is known for doing these open-air Christian worship concerts around the country and the city of Seattle, which had denied him a park venue for the Labor Day concert. But they kind of solved this problem in an interesting way. A group of local pastors located an alternate site on a blocked-off portion of Meridian Avenue North, which is a thoroughfare in Seattle, only hours before the 6 p.m. concert was supposed to begin. They actually got permission from the city to go ahead and hold the concert with the proviso that they call it a worship protest. Now, Sean Fecht is the rally organizer. Uh, Natasha just mentioned his name. He laughed about the conflict with city officials while welcoming a crowd of about 800 or 900 people uh, to the event. He said this, welcome to Seattle's largest worship protest. Uh, Turn to each other and say, welcome to the protest in this city. That makes this a legal gathering. It sounds like he maintained his sense of humor about that situation, but there's a serious point here. Yeah, there are at least a couple of serious points um, to make. First, even if you do believe, as I do, that COVID is a real thing and dangerous and that we should take prudent steps to prevent its spread, we shouldn't pretend that there are not consequences to the steps that we're taking. And we shouldn't pretend that we can just sort of live this way in perpetual shutdown forever. I mean, after all, we're social creatures. And if we're Christians, we also have to grapple with the reality that God commands us to assemble together. And we can't just, you know, say, well, this is a unique situation. They had diseases. They had pandemics in the first and second century as well. And that does not clear us from this commandment of God to gather ourselves together. Now, again, I want to be quick to mention that we need to be prudent about that, and there might be seasons where we're going to have to uh, gather in different ways. But this period of social distancing and isolation is one that can't last forever. I should also mention another uncomfortable reality, and that is that we all die. In fact, Scripture says that as well. It is appointed under man wants to die, it says. And COVID is not the only way we die. Uh, during this season, Natasha, we've seen huge increases in deaths by suicide and so-called deaths of despair. Uh, accidental deaths, for example, by drug abuse, um, they've been on the rise as well. Some of these deaths are a direct result of the economic shutdown caused by the COVID pandemic. Indeed, and we're seeing cruel consequences to the economic shutdown around the world as well. Yeah, that's right. One uh, quick example in Burkina Faso, uh, 12 million people, which is more than half of that country's population, will not have enough food to eat this year. And what's strange about that is that there's plenty of food in the world and even in the region of Burkina Faso. Um, This is a covid induced food shortage brought about by disruptions in the global food distribution chain. And that's one of maybe the cruelest and costliest consequences of the economic shutdown. Now, again, Natasha, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be taking strong measures to slow the spread of the virus. And hopefully those steps will save lives and keep our hospitals from being overwhelmed and keep the disease at bay until we can get a vaccine. 
But when we see stories like this so-called worship protest, or for that matter, other protests that are happening in defiance of COVID restrictions, we should keep in mind that this is really a complicated issue. Yes, and there's a lot more to this story. You can find it by going to Ministry Watch's website, and it should be right on the front page. Before we go, I want to remind everyone that on our Ministry Watch Extra episode, we have Religion Unplugged's Paul Gladder as our guest. Paul is a journalism veteran, having spent years at the Wall Street Journal, and now, in addition to leading Religion Unplugged, leads the journalism program at the King's College. I hope you'll join us for that conversation. And finally, I'd like to remind you that there is a quick and easy and free way to support this program, and that is to rate us on your podcast app. The more ratings we have, the better the podcast performs with search engines. And you can also leave a comment when you give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, you know, Natasha, I can't respond to people's comments via the app, but I do want everybody to know that I read every single comment and I find them encouraging and helpful. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen Duberry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Christina Darnell, Bob Smitanya, Julie Royce, and Warren Smith. I'm Natasha Smith in Pagosa Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. May God bless you. <laughs>